The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to thank you again for being here. What a day. Um, Listen, we're going to be looking at a text today that is so important, and I could say that, and it could be true about every text, but this is an important text because it just may change the way we look at the gospel, because it just may change the way we look at ourselves. So as we look at this, um, let me ask you to imagine something with me. Imagine you have a debt. Some of you are like, well, you don't have to imagine. That is my reality. Imagine that you have a debt. Follow me. And your debt is in the amount of $3,625. $3,625. This debt is looming a little bit. Money is a little tight. Maybe it's, it's, it's looming just a bit. You plan to pay it off, but it's just kind of hanging there. 3600 One day, you walk to your mailbox, and um, you find that you have received a letter from your credit lender. Now, um, typically for anyone who has ever had a debt, a letter from your creditor is not exactly an occasion for, you know, great rejoicing and great joy. Uh, but you see you have a letter, you open it up, this letter is a little different because in, on the top of it you find in bold letters, across the top of the page, your debt is forgiven. It's a good day. You double take because you're like, that can't be. And you look and it said previous balance, $3,625. Current balance, zero. How cool is that? It's a good day. It is a good day. I don't know about you. I'd be grateful to this lender. I'd be grateful. Now, I want you to imagine with me another scenario. Only this time, it's not $3,625. No, this time, it is $36,250. It's a bit of a different story. Uh, this time, the debt's not only looming, it's a little bit crippling. I want you to imagine with me, though, that same moment when you're walking to the mailbox. Um, this debt is, is a bit larger. It's like having a new car looming over you. And you're walking to the mailbox, and you get a letter from your creditor. Again, not the reason to say yes. Rejoice, right? But you open it up, and across the page is the same words. Your debt is forgiven. Previous balance is $36,250. Current balance, zero. Now that's a good day. That's an unbelievable moment. That would amp me up. Just an incredible, unforgettable moment, right? I want you to consider both of these scenes because in which scene do you feel more gratitude? 
Which scene do you feel, which scenario do you feel more relief? I'll tell you this, if any lender gifted me $36,000, I'm a fan of that lender, right? That's a good day. That's a, that's a really, I probably would not forget that. The fact is, the scenario with the larger debt forgiven is going to be the experience that you're not going to forget. And I want you to keep that in mind as we look at our text, um, as we read in our story. We're in Luke 7. If you want to find your page there, it's on the front. Uh, Luke 7, we're going to start in verse 36. But Jesus is going to get himself in a little bit of trouble here. Keep in mind the scene right before this, Jesus can, just confronts religious leaders, Pharisees, lawyers, leaders in the crowd. He confronts them, and he basically, in a nutshell, says, guys, you don't get it. You don't get it. You didn't see or accept John the Baptist. You don't see and accept me. You don't get it. You don't see it. And coming right out of this rebuke, one of the Pharisees invites Jesus to come over. To come over invites him to his house. And so if you look at this in verse, in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So come on, Jesus, you're being a bit harsh on us Pharisees. Come, let's have some, some food together, recline together. Come get to know us a little bit more. Come on, Jesus. And so, and he went to the Pharisee's house, reclined at his table, and so Jesus was invited, he went, verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, gotta love that clarification there, this girl was a sinner, um, known for her sin, notorious for her sin, right? This woman, when she learned that he, that's Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now pause just for a little bit. Um, we today can go to Walgreens. I don't know why Walgreens was on my mind, but um, H-E-B, Walmart, and we can buy some perfume for like $7.99. You can get some uh, night swept for like $10.99, right? And, and we can, understanding that, we can take that kind of idea of ointment and bring it into the text. And, and we might read that in and we would completely miss the magnitude of this moment. Um, an alabaster jar of ointment in this culture, in this time, was incredibly expensive, it was costly. Most scholars estimate that an alabaster jar of ointment would have been about 300 denarii. Now, for uh, those of you, in case you're not able to do like a denarii U.S. dollar conversion in your head that quickly, let me help you out. Um, a denarii is the rough equivalent of a day's wage. So, according to Google... That would be approximately $72.50. So one denarii is about $72.50. And I'll help the non-math people out. 300 of those would be $21,750. That's my thought exactly. That is, that's some perspective. 21 
$1,750 here. This woman breaks, broke the star, poured out that ointment, would have been extremely costly, would have been one of those moments where everyone looked in on and thought, what is happening? What is going on? It would have been a, a moment that might have caused the room to, you could hear a pin drop, just silence, Right? Verse 38 says, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to weep at his feet and with her tears wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. This would have been incredible. Weeping, washing the feet of Jesus. Letting her hair down, which was a no-go for women in this culture. Church, what we need to see here is this this woman comes to Jesus and lays it all out on the line. She pours it out, all in, all chips in, puts it all on the line. You get this sense she's not holding anything back. But she comes to Jesus with everything in this stunning moment, this sinner, acting like this, wasting this perfume, washing his feet, letting her hair down, how inappropriate, right? This was the moment. It was all a lot to take in. Verse 39, and when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have to know who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. If this man, if Jesus really knew if he was really a prophet, he'd know what's going on here. He'd know who this woman is. He would know he would know that she was a sinner. He would know that she was unclean. And instead, he seems to be letting her touch him, letting her do this. See, this Pharisee had two wrong assumptions. Number one, he, uh, this Pharisee assumed that a true prophet would not let the likes of a woman like this to come in contact with him. Wrong. Number two, the second false assumption here was that he assumed Jesus didn't know who this woman was. Because if he knew, again, surely he wouldn't. Again, wrong. Both of these assumptions wrong. This text is going to prove that. But then Jesus turns to this man, verse 30, or verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. And he answered, say it, teacher. And then Jesus gives this analogy. Again, similar to the one we started with this morning. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Again, using our math, that would be the equivalent of one owing $36,250 and the other owing $3,625. Neither of them could pay, verse 42, and he canceled the debt of both of them. Which one of them will love him more? And here Simon is going to answer in the same way that we likely did. Simon answered the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Again, which one would have this overwhelming gratitude? The one who owed $36,000 or the one who owed $3,000? The one who owed a dental procedure's worth or the one who owed a brand new car's worth? Of course, the one who owed 36000 And listen, this is one of the most incredible texts. Again, 
I said it at the beginning that this is an important text because it just may change the way we look at the gospel, because it just may change the way we look at ourselves. Listen to this, verse 44. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Jesus says there is an, indeed a, a difference between you and this woman. And it's not that she is a sinner and you are not. That's not the difference. No, Simon. The difference is her gratitude. It's the gratitude that one feels when they have been forgiven of sins. Her love and her gratitude is on display, and that's the difference. You didn't wash my feet. She did. You didn't kiss me. She did. You didn't anoint me with expensive oil. She did. I think we can fall into the temptation of reading this and thinking that this analogy has has more to do with the amount of debt, but that's really not the point of this analogy. The the point of this analogy is not the amount of debt. It's the attitude. It is the attitude of the one who is in debt as they experience forgiveness. That is what is in view here. It's an attitude. It's the perception of the one who's in debt. The one who has been forgiven of debt, that's what's on display here. And for the one who has been forgiven much, there is much joy. There is much love. There is much gratitude. I mean expensive ointment gratitude. But for the one who has been forgiven little, there is little joy. There is little love. There is little gratitude. It's certainly not enough love or gratitude to empty out my savings by pouring my expensive ointment. That's what's on display here. And that's even more clear as we continue on in verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much, but he is forgiven little, loves little. I want to ask you, church, How do you perceive yourself? How do you see yourself? And understand when I ask this, I'm asking apart from Jesus. Don't Sunday school answer me here. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a pretty good person? I mean, not perfect, but pretty good. Do you see yourself as a person that's not that bad, at least in comparison to the the others, the other heathens around me? Do you see yourself as a pretty moral person? I mean, I'm not that dishonest. I'm not too selfish. I don't consider myself a cheater. I pay my taxes. I mean, I even take care of my aging parents. That's got to score me some points. Do you see yourself as having a pretty good life? You're a pretty good citizen. You make a pretty honest living. Is that your view of yourself? Or do you see yourself as a completely wretched person, that woe is me kind of person? 
Do you see yourself as lazy, selfish, unkind, dishonest? Do you see yourself as broken? Do you see yourself as one who is in desperate need for help? Do you see yourself as someone who, apart from Christ, apart from his intervention, are completely and totally broken? Do you see yourself as a sinner? How do you perceive yourself? In the reality... People who perceive themselves as the woe is me sinners are going to relate well to this woman. You're going to read this and, and think she had no option but to come to Jesus, to lay it all out before him, to put it all on the line, to risk it all, to give it all, to pour it all out, to wash his feet. She had no other choice. If you perceive yourself as the woman, then this makes perfect sense. At the same time, for those of you who see yourself as not all that bad, as pretty moral, as not too dishonest, as not too selfish, you are going to be able to relate well with the Pharisees in this story. You're going to be able to relate well, to look at, come on, woman, get it together. Like, there's better uses for that expensive oil. Don't be wasteful. Don't be absurd. Now, just be honest here, for those who know Jesus, and you know the right answer. You know you're supposed to say, I'm the woman, not the Pharisee. Pharisees are bad. I'm the woman. You know who you're supposed to relate with. You know who you're supposed to relate with. But who do you relate with? For those who are followers of Jesus, you know the hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a what a wretch like me, praise the Lord. We know we're wretched. We know that this is us apart from you. We know that, but if we are honest, I think that we would define wretch a little different. Instead of wretch being an unfortunate, despicable, desperate, poor soul, I think many more of us would define wretch as this. A good person who just needed a little help to go from awesome to really awesome. <laughs> needed God to help us get from good to real good. The problem with that church is, is that's not the gospel. Going from awesome people to really awesome people in the name of Jesus is not the gig. It's not the gospel at all. The gospel is that we are all those woe is me sinners, that we are all broken, that we are all evil, lost, wretched, totally and completely depraved. Totally, completely depraved, that we are all sinners and that Christ came for the lost, the blind, the broken, the wretched, the depraved, and has offered good news in the midst of the bad news. The point of the story is, well, the Pharisees only owed $3,600. This woman owed $36,000. No, that's not. The point of the story is that the Pharisees only thought of themselves as owing $3,600. They only thought of themselves as having just a little debt. And it's just a, just a little bit. 
They only thought of themselves as being a little bad. And if they just had a little help, they would go from awesome to really awesome in the name of Jesus. That's how they thought themselves. While this woman, she thought of herself, perceived herself as being in complete and total need of Christ, being under a debt that she could never afford being in complete need of forgiveness, not just a need of a little help to go from good to great, but needing complete salvation and complete debt forgiveness. That is the point of the story. And I want to say it like this. If you perceive yourself as being not all that bad, then the gospel is really not all that good. If it's not, if the dark is not that dark, then the light is not all that bright. In Jesus' words, if there is not that much forgiveness, then there's not that much love. I have the privilege of getting to meet and work with many pastors, especially church planters. And for church planters specifically, there is this trend of wanting, there's this pull to want to plant churches in urban areas. Now, um, there are a lot of great reasons for this. Uh, please don't hear me wrong when I say this, because there is a need for God, gospel-centered, scriptural-centered, urban churches to be planted in our cities, and our urban centers. But one of the main reasons that I often hear for this pull, this desire to want to plant churches in the city, is because I have heard this word for word. The need is greater in the city than it is in the burbs. Wrong. Wrong. Church, that is false. Don't buy that lie. That is false. The need is not greater in the city. The awareness of it is. The need is not. In other words, in the city, when you drive down the streets, you can often see brokenness on display. When you share the gospel, you can start with the good news and it, re- it, it hits them right where they are. But in the burbs, it's a little different. When we drive down our streets, we don't often see the need. We don't see brokenness on display because in the burbs, it's behind our nice closed doors and on our nice garage doors and behind our community gates. It is hidden. We can hide it better. We're not as aware of it as the cities are. And I've even noticed that when we share the gospel, oftentimes we can't start with the good news. We think we're good already. We can't start there. Often we have to start first with the bad news. We have to start first with, hey, let me tell you about the need that you are not aware you have. We have to start with the bad news, the brokenness, the sin, because like the Pharisees in our text, our awareness of our own sin is in need and is lacking. Our perception of grace is lacking. We think we're amazing people, and so amazing grace becomes less amazing. Let me ask you again, how do you see yourself? How do you perceive yourself? Who are you in this story? Are you the Pharisee or are you the woman? Verse 48. 
And he, that's Jesus, said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those are big words. That's really good news for a sinner. Your sins are forgiven. My fear, though, is we can hear that and think, what sins? How do you perceive yourself? Listen, for those of you, woe is me people, who perceive yourself as those sinners, who are poor and needy, weak and wounded, broken, lost, and blind, I have really good news for you. Jesus came to offer you life and forgiveness, and there is forgiveness in Christ, complete and total forgiveness. Our God is good, and he is both just and merciful, and on the cross, Jesus was both just and the justifier. That is good news. Through his work, there's forgiveness of sin, life eternally. The gospel is good news to sinners. And for those of us who relate more to the Pharisees, for those of us who are pretty good people, I have some bad news, and, or some good news, and it starts with the bad news. You aren't that good. Let me rephrase it. You aren't good. God is perfect, holy, just, and he's so perfect, so holy, so just, that no sin can stand. That's how good, that's how perfect, that's how just, that's how holy, that's how righteous he is. And Romans tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means no matter how good you think you are, no matter how moral you think you are, no matter how much you think you have things put together, you are not good, you are not moral, you are not perfect, you are a sinner. And there's nothing that the enemy would want more than for you to hear all of this and come away thinking, I think I'm good enough, I think I'm put together enough. I think I'm moral enough to hear all of this and say, I I think I'm fine. The good news must start with the bad news that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And from, for a moment, can we just put our name there? Just, I, Justin, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You, brother, you, sister, have sinned, put your name there, have fallen short of the glory of God. And as Romans says, the wages of that sin is death. You have rightly earned it. Your goodness, your morality, your righteousness has earned you the right to stand before God rightly condemned. Again, our God is just, he is perfect, and before him you are perfectly and completely condemned. That is the bad news. And we, if you don't know the bad news, you're not gonna recognize, you're not gonna see, you're not gonna fully grasp the good news. The good news is that Christ came for sinners. That he was perfect and gave himself on the cross. And again, this was the only way. Why? Because our God is just and he wouldn't be just if he turned his eye to all your sin and just let it slide. That wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be good because sin had to be dealt with. So on the cross, Jesus takes on himself the wrath of the Father toward my sin. God the just deals with my sin. And not only that, God demonstrates the fact that he is perfect and just, but on the cross, he also demonstrates his perfect grace and mercy toward you. 
Your sin was placed on him and his righteousness was placed on you. Through his blood, you receive forgiveness of your sin, debt paid in full. The good news is what we're about to sing. Let me just read this and I just want you to take this in. This is the good news. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come I come, just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, I would be lost, but mercy and grace my freedom bought. And now to glory in your cross, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And then just take this in. All those who are broken, all those wounded, desperate, empty, all those guilty. Listen, here's the good news. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God just as I am. The good news is so good, especially when it's seen against the backdrop of our need. Light shines brightest in the dark. Now I want us to finish with our verse, our last verse, before we sing the gospel this morning. Verse 49. And those who were at the table with him begin to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? That's a fair question. Only God does that. And that's right, only God can do that. So Jesus turns to the woman and listen to these words, verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. Sinner, come to Christ, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Come to Christ this morning, there is forgiveness in him, you are saved by grace through faith so that now we can go in peace. Let's pray together. Lord, we are reminded that you didn't come for good people. You didn't come for people who were put together. You didn't come for people who were a little bit better than the others. You didn't come for people who set ourselves apart in any way, shape, or form. You didn't come for those kind of people. You came for the broken, for the sinners, for the needy. Lord, we know that all of us stand under a debt that we could never afford. And I pray that today that you would help us see ourselves through your eyes, through your perspective. For any of us who are trying to, to earn forgiveness, would you show us that it is unearnable in our own efforts, but that through Jesus it has been earned on our behalf. Would you show us the way that we are not owing less than the great? No, we are in debt we could never afford. 
And Lord, we thank you that you demonstrated your great love for us by sending Jesus to die while we were still yet sinners. That we may know you and that we can come to you just as we are. So Lord, we in this moment as we sing the gospel here in this park, Lord, we, uh, we come just as we are. We don't try to clean up. We come in all of our scars and all of our brokenness and all of our sin and we pray and we ask, Lord, that you would forgive. We put it all on the line like the woman in our story. We break the oil. We let down the hair. We just put it all on the line and we come just as we are to hear your words, you are forgiven, go in peace. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. So Lord, we stand on that truth. We sing that truth. We believe that truth. Help us to live that truth in Jesus' name. Amen.